It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Welcome to our latest podcast. It is a pleasure, as always, to have you out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, creator of the e-commerce Master Plan, best-selling author, speaker and consultant, and I focus on e-commerce business strategy and marketing. Last week, we explored the world of speciality condiments, of all things, with Kimari Santiago of Sortopia. And this week, we're going mobile. So let me introduce you to today's special guest. Matt Brady was the founding CMO, that's Chief Marketing Officer, of the Takeaway app just eat and is now building rock pamper scissors it's another mobile app and website this time to make it easier for customers to get their haircuts waxing and other treatments booked online since launching in leeds in 2014 they now have over 2,000 stylists on the platform across leeds manchester and london hi matt hello how's it going Good, thank you. I've just given our listeners a very quick overview of you and your business and where you are now. So how did you get started off in e-commerce? Cool, that's a long time ago. I guess I've been um, <coughs> having an internet job since the internet was born in the UK, really, because my, my last year at university um, was the kind of first year that um, pictures appeared on web browsers. Uh, wow. And I was, doing a marketing, I was doing a marketing degree. So, I mean, we were just looking at pictures of Pulp Fiction, trying to work out what was in the case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, so that was my last year doing a marketing degree. It just seemed obvious that that this new internet thing was going to be a game changer for for marketing. So my my first couple of jobs were kind of in the, you know, I taught myself how to build websites, which was not as hard as people think. Um, It's even easier today, but it wasn't that much harder even then. Um, but of course, employers didn't know that. So having a marketing degree and the ability to build a website was a pretty good start in the career. <laughs> so what was the first e-commerce business you worked on then? Um, I worked for a couple of little ones, but my first proper, proper e-commerce job was a, a video games portal. Remember the word portal? Yeah. Um, <laughs> called Gameplay.com, um, which was quite a big uh, story in the first kind of dot com boom um and it was a it was a kind of spin out from dixon's um and sky were a major shareholder so it was quite a big deal um and i was and because it was a portal there was a magazine on there a shop um and somewhere where you could play video games as well it was kind of all things you know the gateway to games was the slogan um and i ran the shop so that was my first big e-commerce job back in god 96 i suppose 97 something like that Ooh, yes, that was a while, a while back in the in the history of e-commerce. Almost the dawn of time for e-commerce. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so proper pedigree on the podcast today, everybody. Um, and then, <laughs> then you. So really old, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't think so. I think ninety six is not that long ago. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyway. But then, then maybe that yeah. makes both of us sound old. Um, yeah. So there's probably people listening who were born in 96 (laughs) yeah oh (laughs) okay let's let's move move more towards the present day I think um so right tell me a bit about um where Rock Pamper Scissors is right now yeah so Rock Pamper Scissors is really interesting um in the sense of it's you know when I was building Just Eat 
um, with the team there, there's thousands of people I didn't build just eat, but while I was part of that team, it always struck me as a bit weird that there was, this, there was another type of business on the high street that you effectively booked that was not really online. Um, and it kind of always puzzled me when I was out and about, you know, talking to takeaways and, you know, because restaurants that you order from online, restaurants that you book and sit down. I used to work for Top Table. Um, so that's all sorted. So I've, I've kind of done two different segments of the high street in terms of marketplaces. And it just struck me as really weird that no one had cracked the problem of uh, booking haircuts online. And there's, then they, you know, and, and the longer it's gone on, the more that these kind of myths have come in that it's something to do with, oh, well, we've all got a stylist that we like, so why do we need an app? But of course, you could say that about takeaways and restaurants. Um, yeah. The point is, you, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got someone you like, I still want to be able to look at their calendar and see when they're free and look at my calendar and see where they join up and book it in without having to make an awkward phone call when I'm sat at my desk at work or, you know, often people want to, book an appointment at night because that's when they're thinking about their private life stuff and of course the salons are all shut um so it just always struck me as a bit weird so we thought we'd have a think about it and see if we could solve the problem so matt your business is in many cities and you've got teams spread out all over the place where are you personally yes yeah, so, well i kind of um we have a lovely office in Bethnal Green for our London base um, in the Pillbox building, which is a really nice space for startups. So give them a bit of a shout out. Um, and then we have our kind of call centre and sales activity fo- you know, focused in Nottingham because then it's nice and in the middle of the country to get to all of the salons all over the place. And um, obviously you're UK based and you're in three cities at the moment in the UK. And it's, mm-hmm. is it purely haircuts or is it more than that? Are you talking any beauty stylist? We do take bookings for, for any beauty um, stuff that a salon does. But we're kind of trying to focus on the haircut problem because I think that might have, because our analysis is that part of the problem of why it hasn't taken off is that in the past is that people that have tried to do it before go out there and say you know book all of your beauty services on this product and it's not very clear to the public what they do so there becomes the perception that they're just about booking spas or massages there's actually three quarters at least of value in the beauty market it just is haircuts so we're going out there very clearly with a message around haircuts but of course we're very happy to take bookings for massages and nails and blow dries and everything else it's, I think that's a really key point, isn't it? It's like, right, this is the sector which is badly served at the moment. Let's focus on that sector. And within that sector, 75% of the revenue is on one service. So yeah. so let's just focus on that one service. It makes perfect sense. But I think it's it's quite easy for people to get, you know, when they're building this type of business, to get distracted and try and do everything. Yeah, it's, it, it is. And I think that you, when you communicate with the public, you, you know, the public have less and less patience with companies communicating with them. You just need to be very single-minded and clear about why they should come to your particular app or service. Um, so I think just being a big gateway, you know, big gateway to every beauty product um, can confuse people. And I think it can also put men off because actually, if you think about you know, the reason why haircuts is such a big part of the market is because men get haircuts too. And they, do, they don't tend to get their nails done. So, again, it makes you a much more, uh, you know, universal product if you can go out there with a message that everyone can understand, which is, you want a haircut, come to this thing. So, on that, that gender 
difference. Um, my my assumption would be that men are much more likely to just go anywhere for their haircut. So are you seeing a bigger uplift from men or from women, if you're able to share those that kind of stat? Oh, well, yeah. At the moment, it's certainly easier for us to target and reach women because it's the dumb thing for women to book haircuts. But I think that's a... That men like convenience. This is something I learned from Just Eat, where you know men are um, a huge part of the market for Just Eat. It's almost fifty-fifty with Just Eat. Um, because, so men want con- ease and convenience, and it's and it's so there's a men can't be bothered. I'm being sexist against men, <laughs> but generally, <laughs> you're allowed to do that, but I I'll try not to. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, um, speaking as a target market of one men generally can't be bothered to book things um especially on the telephone it's a kerfuffle and it's what girls do for their haircuts not what boys do but having said that if you if you're a boy and you can just open an app that says i need a haircut now which is what you can do on our app it's like uber for hairstylists and then you can see you know 10 great hairstylists near where you're stood in london now that that are free now then you can you know you can just press a button they're booked for 10 minutes time wander along the street and you haven't got to sit there in a barber's or wherever waiting for half an hour to get your hair cut. So it's even more convenient than just walking in off the street. So these are stories that we can start to tell as we get a bit bigger and a bit more marketing budget. So you, you use the U word there, uh, the Uber word. And um, do you, uh, which, which seems, seems to be almost omnipresent in all mobile apps these days. And do you find, or are you still working out whether you're going to be focusing on that last minute purchase or whether you're going to be doing the planned customer purchase? Is that something well, you're, you're playing around with or you've got some kind of insights in on? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I don't, we don't necessarily um, feel we have to be focused on one or the other because on, on our app, you can just go on there and press, press a button that says now. And it will show you people that you may not have used before. But what we certainly want to move towards is loyalty. We want, uh, in the sense of, we want you, to, we, we kind of see it as dating. We want to introduce you to stylists. If you haven't got a stylist you're loyal to at the moment, which is half the market, we want you to be able to find a good stylist for your type of hair and your top sort of style. And then once you've found them, we'd like you to rebook them. Because we, we're really trying to solve problems for the stylist. So we, that's the way we look at it and again i think you know having worked on several marketplaces and done a lot of mentoring with marketplaces i think there's a what you need to understand when you build a marketplace is that you've got to solve a problem for the suppliers and because it's the suppliers that will move the consumers online for you if you get it right and of course the problems that stylists have got is loyalty they want people to you know half of their um people they cut hair for don't come back in a month um and they've got no show problems with no show from people who might book on the telephone but they forget to turn up so if you can focus on their problems and try to understand their problems then they will like online solutions if they like online solutions they will hopefully talk about online solutions to people when they cut their hair so that's the key thing we're trying to solve which is how can we do as best job as possible for the stylists because if we get that right, they will happily talk about online and move the market online finally. And again, I think that's that's our hunch on why the market hasn't moved online, whereas, say, you know, hotel bookings or, or flights have, is in, in all those scenarios, the suppliers were perfectly happy to move online. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't think you've seen that with stylists or salons yet because the people that have tried to do this before have maybe charged them too much money, have been too focused on, on, the, on themselves as a marketplace rather than the problems of the salons. Um, whereas we're going out there listening, trying to understand their problems and trying to use technology to solve their problems. I, I really like the fact you've been you've given us some really good tips there around how to build a marketplace because it's, you know, when I'm out and about and I expect you get the similar thing, you, I'm out and about and I hear lots of people going, I've oh, just got this great idea, we're about to launch. And quite often they'll go, I've got this marketplace, in 12 months time we're going to be bigger than Amazon because what I'm going to do is, and you're like, oh God, you've you've only thought about half the coin and that half of the coin you haven't even understood because it's it's one of those things which I think a lot of techies go, oh, I know how to build a marketplace. That'll be genius. And then actually mm-hmm. neither the customer nor the supplier wants it. Um, so that's kind of kind of I, I find marketplaces quite fascinating from that point of view. And also from the fact it's they're kind of chicken and egg. You know, you've in, in my not having ever run a marketplace. So maybe you can you can you can help me out with this one. But, you know, you've you've what comes first? Is it the stylist or is it the customer? Because if you go all out to get the stylists and you've got no customers, the stylist will stop using it. And if you go all out to get the customers and there's no one to book with, it's it's quite an interesting balancing act. So from what you've said, I'm guessing that you should focus on the supplier side, not the customer side. I think it's just understand. Yeah, I, I think the chicken lays the egg. Um so I think you've got to make the first chicken. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do think it's, I mean, this is just my having, you know, like built Just Eat, which is one of Europe's biggest marketplaces. And then, you know, having acquired quite a few marketplaces in that job and then having done a lot of mentoring. I think it's the big thing people miss is that why did Just Eat get so big so quick? Is actually because the suppliers were perfectly happy to brand their, takeaway restaurants with a big sticker and then yeah. they were quite and then we did and that was a, that was the big ball that was rolling at the heart of just eat all of the great stuff that we did in the marketing department um that we did later on like trying to ban cooking and all that funny stuff that was top spinning an effect that was already happening whereas i think there's an assumption that you can you just jump straight to marketing and it's all going to be brilliant but marketing's really hard as we all know um, and increasingly hard because, I mean, especially with startups, because um, no one gives a shit about your startup idea. I do a lot of mentoring, you know, meet all these companies, like you just said, you meet companies all the time in your role as, as a consultant and author, you know, and they've got wonderful ideas. And one of the first things I try to do with them when I'm trying to do sessions with them, so look, start from the point of view that nobody cares about what you're saying. And because no one cares, there's too much else going on. What you need to care about is their problems and try and think about how your solution solves their problems, not just tell them about a wonderful idea you've had about widgets or whatever it might be. So I think in this scenario, like I say, you've never seen us, you've never been to a salon and had them say, please book us online next time. It just doesn't happen yet. No, no it, it really doesn't. So, so on that, so are you constantly trying to, uh, to balance? the effort you're putting into getting chickens and the effort you're putting into getting eggs? I think we probably put more effort into the supply side because we see that if we get that right, like we did with Just Eat, we got the restaurant, we brand the restaurant with a the sticker. Then with Just Eat, we did other things such as we'd sell, we'd sell the menus um, at a cheap cost <clears throat> if they put their logo, our logo, sorry, Just Eat's logo, on those takeaway menus. Um, we then started selling them pizza boxes and bags at cost 
that were branded just eat. But all of these things were kind of accidental ways that the restaurant was then advocating just eat to their consumers. And of course, they were going to all of their consumers, these bags and boxes and menu cards, not just the ones that had used just eat, right? So people ordering off the telephone would get their food delivered in a just eat bag with a menu on it, which has got just eat on it. So yeah. all of these things, you know, all of these points, the restaurants are advocating use the Just Eat app, use the Just Eat app. Now, when it's, so whenever I'm talking to a new marketplace, I'm trying to work out what's the equivalent of stickers and bags for that particular marketplace. So it's all about the offline marketing to get the wide reach, basically. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, it's very expensive to win on PPC. It's, Hell yeah. And you, can, <laughs> and, and you can do it. But even if you do do it, all PPC will get you is the people that are searching for that particular problem on the internet today. Hmm. That, and what I mean by that is then, so if their current habit is to use a telephone and go to the same place all the time, you're never going to reach them with PPC particularly um, because they already know the phone number and they're just going to go back to the same place. The way you're going to get the market online at mass is for the salon itself to suggest to its existing customers, hey, we'd much rather you booked us online next time. So we do a bit with consumers, but generally we focus on solving the supply problem uh, or the problem of the suppliers so that they're happy. And if they're happy, we, and, and we've, we're seeing that's really beginning to work. Probably more than, way more than half of our orders come from salons themselves rather than just P, you know, PPCs, a chunk of it, you know, of yeah. the remaining half. But way more come from salons themselves for free. They so, come from PPC, which we have to pay for. So to build a, a marketplace, focus on the supplier side, make them happy, and then find physical offline ways like stickers in the restaurant window to get them to build the brand awareness and drive the traffic for you. Yeah, and then digital and channels and marketing, other, other marketing, that all comes in to top spin that effect. But you need that growth engine in the middle, which is the market moving it itself online then you can top spin it with marketing and, and all this other stuff. Now, I'm guessing, just for those who are out there who are going, top spin, are we paying tennis now? Um, <laughs> top spin, I think it's tennis anyway, probably got that wrong, not very good at ball sports. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're saying top spin, you're meaning there's a momentum already happening and then you're putting that big marketing effort out there to really fast track and speed up the process. Correct, yeah. You've got, you've got, a, you've got and if, if you did no marketing at all, you've still got solid growth then anything marketing does is then a bonus on top. It's the, it's the, I always like to say it's the, it's the, marketing is the icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. Excellent. Good quote. Um. <laughs> and, then, and then when you get even more money, you can build a brand with TV and stuff, and that's the cherry on top of the icing. <laughs> I, I like that analogy. That's a good one. Um, right, let's just get back to a couple of kind of key factors about the business. So um, you're currently with an app and a website, is that right? Correct, yeah. And why did you choose to do both? Um, well, was that a no-brainer? or? Well, initially, the business was started um, by... Uh, you know, I, I wasn't involved... In, well, I was involved. It was my idea, but I was working for Just Eat. So a friend of mine start, started the business for the first year or so, and we, we were running what you call a minimum viable product test, mm -hmm. which is what we were doing in Leeds. So we, we built a website and... We built the wrong website, actually. We can talk about that in a minute. But that, 
And the, but then we learn as a team, we started to learn about salons, stylists, and all the things we've just been talking and what their problems were. Um, but initially, the naive assumption was that you do just build Just Eat for, for salons and away you go. And that didn't work. But that not working made us then question and think and get to know the stylists and salons better to work out what the real problems were. And th- so then you, you then went for the, for the dual mobile website. Yeah, and then Sorry. as time went on, we then had the, you know, once we worked out what we thought the problems were, we then put those into play with the, with the app, um, which is really cool, but generally used by people that have got to know us. But, mo- but mobile, I would say probably mobile web is still more important than the app. Um, and I'd always probably start with mobile web because at the end of the day, mobile web is searchable. And it's linkable in a way that's a lot easier than an app. So in these early years of a startup, it's, you know, it's really crucial that you have a decent mobile web experience. Because people could install an app and uninstall it the next day. We all know what the stats are like for apps. Yeah, terrible. So for us, our, our, our focus on tech for the next 12 months is not our app. It's, it, our app's pretty good. Our focus now is to go back to mobile web and say, okay, can we deliver something pop, you know, at app level but to visitors from Google searches and, and whatever. So we're building, you're focusing on the mobile-ready site because that's good for acquiring first-time users and then the app's there for the people who love you and want to keep using the product. Would that be roughly right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think you have to, then you have to think about the, use, you know, the user experiences of, of, of the two different channels are different in that, you know, if you, if you build your app around people that have used you okay who's going to use an app someone that's already involved with our brand then that should all be that should all that app should really be about making their life easy to keep rebooking and 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 also to give them a reason to engage with us when they're not in the market because of course ladies might only have a haircut every couple of months um so we don't want to be forgotten in that couple of months how can we be relevant and useful to the consumer in those couple of months so for us, we've built up a huge library of, of haircuts, which are supplied by our stylists, which for you whilst you're considering your next haircut. And you know, we've seen there's, there's a huge portion of people out there, especially ladies, that consider their next haircut for quite a while. <laughs> it's quite a topic. <laughs> and it's one of their big anxieties. You know, the big anxiety is what style is going to suit me. So on our app, they can come along and we've got a button called Style Search, and they can flick through recent photos of haircuts that have been done in their area, see one they like, they think will suit them, and then discover the actual stylist that did that haircut. So it's kind of like giving you a magazine experience, but it's, it's all achievable in the local area. Yeah, you, you, and you can, like, you can go back to the person who did the photo, so you know correct. they're capable of doing it. <laughs> Which yeah. is another worry. Think, I'd like to look like this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then yeah, who knows so what happens. Up with a yeah, picture of Pinterest, Pinterest mm. or a magazine, um, you're going there with a photo of something they've actually done themselves. And so you did this one last month. Could you do it for me? And then, oh, great. And it's great for the stylist because they've got a clear brief. Because one of their anxieties is customers aren't very good at briefing. Um, and, yeah. you know, I'm terrible. As a, you know, blokes are terrible. Like, what do you want today, sir? I don't know. You're the expert. Get on with it, mate. But I invariably say, same as last time, please. I can't remember what it looked yeah. like last time. Uh, I yeah. doubt you can either, but that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're cutting, you know, six haircuts a day at least or whatever. Yeah. 
for two months. They're not going to remember what they did for you, you know, several hundred haircuts ago. No. So being able to show them what, you know, your own photo of what you look like or a photo of something else they've done. But again, all this content, though, is a reason to look at the app in the months in between getting your haircut. And that's the point, is to think about how do we, you know, if you've got a travel app, for example, um, it shouldn't just be about booking a hotel. It, maybe it should be about inspiring where they go and book next. Like planning your next trip, here's some great ideas for, you know, October half term or whatever, rather than an app that's just about booking. Because if you just have an app that's just about booking, then it's, it's dormant for three quarters of the year when I don't need to book a hotel, right? Yeah. Um, all right. I want to cover off a couple of things. First off, you've built the, um, you're very focused on that mobile website. Have you done one website for desktop, tablet and mobile, which is a mobile first iteration? Or have you done one website for mobile and another website for desktop? Because that's a question I'm hearing a lot at the moment. People are trying to work we, out what to do. Of you um, just looking at our traffic, that mobile web is by is far more important than desktop. So for the first time in my career, we've built a website for mobile screens first, and then we expanded it widthways to fit a desktop. And we've just followed the traffic. You know, our traffic on mobile is is four times higher or something stupid than the website. Um, but of course, as a designer and as a product person, and you know, I've done a lot of the product. In this case, I love doing products you naturally want to start with the biggest canvas, which is widescreen monitor. But actually, it was, really, it was really interesting to start the other way around because it really made us think about how to make the navigation more uh, efficient to fit on a small screen. We even start with um, how we make it easy to navigate photos on a screen. Some months on that. And then, to be honest, we just made it a bit wider because you know, that worked fine for desktop. But it's very hard I've, to make a really gorgeous desktop site shrink. So yeah. our, current live, our current live site is a great example of that. It's, it's mobile optimized and works really well. And it works okay on phones because it's mobile optimized. But the user experience is, is crap compared to the, the one that we're working on at the moment because we did you know, for mobile screens first. And, you know, our conversion rate on, on mobile phone screens isn't too bad today. Um, but, you know, we're hoping we could potentially quadruple that, which would be a huge amount of growth for us. Cool. And then the other thing I wanted to, ta- to tie up was you alluded to building the wrong website and talking about that a bit later. So, um, so what, what, what happened with the wrong website? Yeah, so the, the website that's live now is our minimum viable product that we learned all the lessons from. And then, okay... We learned several things from this experiment. Um, firstly, what I just said, <laughs> don't design for the desktop. They go, um, we didn't, and t- you know, we all knew that mobile was becoming more and more important, but it was still, you know, desktop one first. But secondly, that we didn't understand the problems for the stylists or for the consumers. Um, so it, it works okay. It, you know, it's, we're getting really good growth, don't get me wrong, but. We don't like it because we've realized it's solving the wrong problem because what it's doing at the current site is giving you, is a search engine for salons. Well, it's not very hard to find salons. There's six outside my <laughs> office here. So you, so you think about it logically. You've built a search engine for something which there's an abundance of on your doorstep. Who needs a search engine for that? And of course, this is again partly why the market hasn't moved online. It wasn't solving a problem that anyone's got. I can easily find a hair salon. 
what we then realized the consumer problem was wasn't finding salons it's finding within the salon who's the right person for my hairstyle mm-hmm. and the analogy we use because half of us from the takeaway industry is like well, it's like going into a pizza restaurant and then getting upset that they can't do you know chicken korma curry um <laughs> You know, you go into a salon with a stylist and get upset when they, they're not very good at doing bobs and don't do – they'll have a go because you've asked them to do a bob. What you really want to do is find the best person near you for doing bobs because they've all had different training. It's not about the shop front. It's about the chair. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about the people that – you know, and these are all differently skilled, talented individuals. They're all brilliant but they've all been trained in different ways. They're all better at different things. So what we do is we tag stylists with their specialties. We're then using you know, the photos to reveal um, what they're really good at and the user reviews as they flow in over the years ahead will help you discover you know, who's, the, who's the David Beckham in your area, who's the, who's the brilliant person at doing, at doing bobs or whatever it might be or, or colour, who's the best colourist in the couple of miles of where you're stood. At the moment, this is completely impossible to find out. Anyone today could find salons by just going on the internet and looking on Google or the yellow pages, but no one can find who's going to be the right person for doing my colour or whatever it might be. You have to rely on personal recommendations from friends, which is good, but it only gets you so far and and it's not very comprehensive. An excellent answer with loads more fantastic takeaways. But it's now time for us to dive into the top tips round. Um, And I love this section because it gives me and the listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. Not that we haven't had enough of those already this morning or in, sorry, today's podcast, because you might be listening in the (laughs) evening or the afternoon, although it's morning right now. Um, So Matt, are you ready for the top tips? Not really. It feels like high pressure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's well, it's a quiz, and I should win a milky bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, may, maybe if you're very lucky, you'll get a milky bar. Uh, let's okay. see. Let's see how you do, though. So, first up, the book top tip: If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? I would like to recommend uh, a beautiful constraint by Adam Morgan. Um, I'm always recommending Adam Morgan books. So people must think I am Adam Morgan. Actually, yeah, I should just, that should be a rumour I should start. (laughs) He'll love that. Um, But yeah, what I love about Adam's work and his previous book, Eating the Big Fish, is that it's all about how small companies can become big companies by being creative rather than spending money. And that's just something I really subscribe to and have done it myself and see it working myself. And there's always an assumption you need to go and buy growth. And I'm always saying to people, you need to earn growth. So what I like about a beautiful, beautiful constraint is that it, it gets you to look at what you've got. What, what, what resources do you have that you can use to get growth without having to buy them? What is, and then what do your customers need that you've got in abundance? So in our case, we do have an abundance of photography. Our customers need inspiration. We can put, if we put those two things together in a good product, then we should get growth because we've earned it by, by using the resources available. Excellent. So, so we're going to... Your constraints, you know, to try and get growth. Cool. So let's move on then to the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? 
Um, my favorite one I've learned this year um, for startups um, is that you know, Facebook's got some really good targeting on it for demographics, but there's a whole different way of thinking about demographics on Facebook, which I, maybe I'm just stupid and hadn't thought about. But I was talking to um, Click Mechanic, give them a shout out, hello Click Mechanic, and asking how they found car mechanics, because obviously on Facebook to find a car mechanic um, to recruit for their marketplace is really hard. Because people don't put their job descriptions into to Facebook, right? And they said, oh, yeah, we, we run adverts against Snap-on and Spanner brands. And I thought, that's genius. Maybe it's really obvious and I'm just stupid. Um, but most people I've passed this tip on to had not thought of it either. Like, oh, of course. So, for example, if you're, if you're uh, you know, a startup in e-commerce doing household products, instead of just going out there and saying, I'm going to target women of a certain age in these towns, think about what brands that a homeowner would be following. Maybe it's Ikea, whatever it might be. So it's not just about your... Don't think about your competitors. Think about what only that person would, would be following. So in the case of stylists, we, you know, we advertise against professional um, brands, you know, like GHD Professional, which is just a page for people that are buying the high-end equipment for their salon, for example, as ways for us to target stylists. And that's proved to be much better ROI for us than using the kind of standard Facebook targeting. So that's my big tip. It's kind of like fast tracking your data selection, isn't it? Rather than mining every last bit of the geo demographic, psychographic, etc., just go, well, people who are going to like us would like that. So let's just advertise to people who like that. Yeah. And it works really. If, you, if you're trying to find car mechanics, of course, put adverts against people that... Because f- only car mechanics are going to be finding snap-on spanners. Done. Genius. So it, it makes... It works really... Yeah, it works brilliantly. I've, I've, I've tried it with several companies and it's, uh, we're getting much better results than trying to be clever with all of the other targeting. So, and it's quicker. <laughs> just to sit there and brainstorm for a minute. Okay, you know, what would plumbers be following? And they yeah. just go and look at brands that only plumbers would be following. <laughs> cool. Well, let's move on then to our next top tip, which is the tool top tip. This might be a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient day to day? Probably a standard, maybe you get this answer a lot, but it's Slack. We're all loving Slack. It's definitely cut down. We hardly ever send emails to each other anymore. Um, and it's a brilliant way. I mean, we're, we're based in two different locations, well, three or four different locations. We've got a team all over the country. And it's a great way of having um, group conversations, feeling together as a, as a community, as a, a company. And, you know, and like I say, it's cut down a hell of a lot of uh, email conversations. They've kind of stopped, which is a right relief. For us all. <laughs> I we get an awful lot of recommendations for tools like Asana and Trello, but we don't often go go as far down the line as the Slack option. But I've been hearing yeah, a, l- a lot about yeah. it of late, so I think I might be testing that one later this year myself. Yeah, we we we, we use Asana as well. That's more for your medium term kind of project planning. But day to day running a company that's spread out all over the place, as many startups are, Slack is brilliant. Excellent. Well, the startup top tip then, our last top tip. If you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business, what would be your first tip for them? Don't. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. Um, I mean, honestly, the biggest problem is raising money and keeping raising money. And so my top tip to people is like, well, 
Who have you got back? Have you got anyone backing you? Do not do this yourself. You cannot do it yourself. Um, we, and even especially um, now we've had the Brexit, you know, will that dry up investment? We don't know yet, but it, it's not, it's not easy. It's not trivial to raise money and people, you know, the glamour of doing a startup and you meet people that are, that are doing well and they make it sound so easy to do. Hey, we had this great idea. We raised 2 million quid. It's so hard. And, you know, I do a lot of mentoring with uh, founders and it's the number one stress and um, pain point for all of them is raising enough money to get, to get, the, to get the company going on its own two feet. Um, if, any, if, if anyone out there is doubting what Matt's saying on that, then have a read of Boo Who, the book by Ernst Malmsten about the setting up of Boo.com back in the first dot-com bubble. Um, and you will see quite how much of a time and energy and stress sap raising finance is. And it hasn't really changed all that much. There's many more options, but it's still just as hard work. Yeah, so my tip would be, can you do it as a minimum viable product? you limit your ambitions to one area, raise some money on, uh, you know, Kickstarter or, or Crowdcube or one of those guys and do it in a way that isn't going to be stressful and just give it an experiment. Treat life as an experiment. Don't treat it as you're going in and this is life or death because it's just too stressful. It's very, very stressful for a lot of founders. So I normally say to people, don't do it. <laughs> Unless you're super, super passionate and you've and you've got some people behind you that can that can really help you get through the first sort of three or four years because it's going it's going to be a long slog. Oh, you and you've got to have the passion there because you know content is such an important part of it that you know you've got to be interested in what you're selling for the next five or six years. Yeah. If, if you don't think you can be. Was, my other tip was what I said earlier, which was just remember nobody gives a shit about your bright idea. You need to you know because often people have they've had a brilliant idea and they're so excited it's like no one else is going to care about this you need to really think about why anyone else should care so that's my other tip excellent well master plan world you can find those top tips and links to everything else all the many things we've been talking about in today's episode by going to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 67 uh, matt before we say goodbye would you like to let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media please um, well, they can follow me at, at Matt with one T, Braddy, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Um, and they can find Rock Pamper Scissors at, by doing a Google search for Rock Pamper Scissors. And that should bring them to the website or um, bring up the relevant app store. And I hope they all give it a try. <laughs> Excellent. Nice, easy, straightforward call to action, there, everyone. And we'll add links to those and everything else we talked about today in the show notes. And that's at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 67, or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. Matt, thank you so much for being on the e-commerce masterplan podcast today and for sharing so many fantastic tips around mobile and marketplaces and startups. It's been highly enlightening. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Wow, what an 
utterly amazing set of advice from Matt there. Um, I mean, we could call this a mobile masterclass, maybe a marketplaces masterclass, or just a how to start up an e-commerce business masterclass. So much in that. I think you'll all be reading that, listening to this one a couple of times to pick it all up. Anyway, um, so thank you all for, for listening. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please do put a review on iTunes because it helps me get the podcast out to even more listeners. And I want to help as many people as possible with this one. So have a great week, everybody, and keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.